Previously on Funny Science Fiction. I'm going to answer this as Rex. <laughs> he got decapitated, you insensitive right? person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I get my dad? I get him. Ro- I get him roses for his brain. <laughs> Hi, I'm Drayton Allen, and this is the Funny Science Fiction podcast, where teleporter mishaps are viewed more as an opportunity for humor than a personal tragedy. This week, we'll be role-playing an interview with game master extraordinaire. Guy Slanders. Brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund. Remember, it hasn't happened yet, but someday we will explore space and the brave men and women who wear the red shirts will be brutally murdered by hostile aliens or killed by stupid engineering mistakes based on bad science. Imagine the comfort you'll give crewman number seven, knowing that when he puts that on that red shirt and gets eaten by a hideous amorphous alien blob thingy on Janus 6, 18 minutes into episode 27 that he didn't leave his family destitute well this week i'll be the honorary game master josh will role play our red-shirted interviewer and guy will be our acting guest and tim will be the evil sarcastic whimsical jester so let's everyone roll initiative to get our show started oh josh your turn well Wonderful. I'm going first. I'm going to roll my interviewing skill. One. (laughs) First of all, we'd like to introduce Guy Sklanders, who's helped disrupt the role-playing community to strict rules of adherence, in which if they don't follow them, by the book, he gets banned by the Banhammer of Righteousness, which has led to uprisings in the community, and frankly, they're outraged. Guy, public wants to know, why do you hate on Star Trek so much? I think he'd love to answer, but I think he's frozen. He's frozen again. Oh. <laughs> he's in shock. I actually don't think he's frozen. He's in shock. He's not frozen. Well, we tried. We tried. Poor guy on his internet. <laughs> oh, there, he's kind of back. He's his, back. Face <laughs> his face moved. <laughs> he went from... <laughs> <laughs> But there you go. Now you're back. Now you're back. back. That was hilarious, actually. <laughs> Your face was frozen for the longest time. Like, oh my <laughs> like god, what have I, done? I can't believe that I actually agree to do this show. Yes. <laughs> do you want me to roll for my answer? Is it going to be a good answer? You can. Bad? You can. Please roll. Roll away. I'd love to. I'd love to. Uh... All right, we have the Pandora's box here. I got a natural five, so Ooh. I'm going to answer that question by saying no comment. Nope. <laughs> very wise, very wise. Then uh, here, let me roll again here really quick. I might my dice dropped on the floor. Happens once per game, you know. Please. Thank you, frozen again. One. All right. So, so um say. So why do you insist on bringing back Thacko to D D? Oh, no. <laughs> Ask all the wrong questions. Again, he fro- freezes on the answer. He's like, maybe if I pretend to freeze. And yeah, I don't if have I, if I, if I just, yeah, I can't hear you very clearly. <laughs> you guys are gonna have to sp- wait. You can see me. <laughs> did you ask a question in that silence? Because I didn't hear one. Oh, I said, we why did. do you, why do you insist on bringing Thacko back to D and D? And. And for, for those listeners that don't know, Thacko is this beautiful table that everybody uses, and it's just so very, very useful. Not. Not, not at, at all. all. It's, it's, it's... 
Oh my goodness. No, no. Why do I have to think about tobacco? Because I want to kill the industry and end it all. Um, I want it all to be over. And we're all going to go and become an accountant because that's, that's, that's the ultimate goal, right? Um, exactly. So yeah. for all those of you who actually know Guy, he loves Star Trek, likes sci-fi, all that kind of stuff. In general, he, provo he promotes a mindset of acceptance and fun being the standard principles of role-playing. Um, your gaming will just be so much better when you follow his principles. As an individual who I've enjoyed this type of gaming and stuff, uh, my gaming enjoyment went through the roof after watching your videos. So um, less about being an accountant, right? So Guy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Officially, um, this time. <laughs> relax, I'm, suddenly, I'm getting all tense. Going, wait, I didn't say that. Is that what you <laughs> think? Really? What? Oh my I rolled a one, okay? I can't. Right. <laughs> You have to ask the exact, absolute worst question when you roll, you know, when you fail it. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. So um, I'll say your content really resonated with me. Uh, I was uh, at the time of really starting in my role play stuff. I was in high school. I was in drama class. I was in plays and et cetera. And, you know, improv was a thing. And I actually ended up teaching drama my senior year. And one of the standing principles that I think you really brought to the community too was um, the same one in improv, which is never deny. Mm. And that is because somebody in improv, if they want to play a safe role, they're going to they're gonna go, well, I have a cat in my pants. And no, the other person will be like, no, you don't. No, you don't. And I'll be like, well, that's just an easy yeah, way out. That's right? not a cat. Anyway. So <laughs> it's a jaguar. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, couldn't help myself. So can you think of like an epiphany moment that you had where you just said to yourself, I don't want that to happen again. You know, I don't want that to happen again in game and promote your main message like that to, to uh, in your content. Uh, yeah, I think that happened very early on in my role playing experience. Uh, this was even before I started to, to study film and, and script writing and, and all that kind of cool and wonderful stuff. Um, I was playing in a game with our dungeon master where we were using that awful Thacko uh, <laughs> thing. It was terrible. I, 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 all I know is that I couldn't hit anything. I think I, I must, I, I, I was a wizard. And so it was like, no, you get one spell and then that's it. You go and sit in your box and you don't come out again until tomorrow. <laughs> um, and um, <laughs> yeah, we were, we were playing in this campaign and we took over a sewer. We were sent down into the sewer to defeat cobbles. I mean, it's a stock standard <laughs> adventure, right? But this was, this was, Noah had just let open the doors and everyone was still trying to repopulate the earth type of, this is how long ago it was. <laughs> and so we didn't know, this was cool for us. This was brilliant, this was brilliant. So we cleared out the cobbles and then we went, but well, this is a great lair for our play characters to take over. So we took over the lair and the GM went, well, the dungeon master's guide doesn't have anything on players having a lair we were asking things like well if we get the oak doors that will look better with the kind of the smoke <laughs> in the water but the mahogany right. doors might be stronger which one has more hit points <laughs> yeah, we, we were we were making our home right right uh, because... apparently more concerned with the aesthetics <laughs> well that's what happens when you have a bunch of art students kind of oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yes. um, this yeah. one's prettier this one earlier, it's like, no, you cannot have mahogany with chrome. It doesn't work. <laughs> um, how, does, how, does, how does it 
rate against the cobalt axe. I mean, do you have to figure that out? And right. Well, you see, that's the thing. So we were asking these kinds of questions. We were like, and he got so frustrated. He's like, listen, the rest of my campaign is set outside of the city, and you've now spent multiple sessions uh, doing little odd jobs around the town to buy furniture for your <laughs> place. We're like, yes, we're pimping our pad. I mean, that's what yeah. we're doing. <laughs> And he got so frustrated. Eventually, he said, "You know what? There's a giant flood. There's a storm. There's a, there's a <laughs> everything gets washed away, and the sewers get sealed up by the city guard." And I remember going, "Well, now I don't want to play anymore because right? that, that was the yeah. fun. that was what we were having fun with." Yeah. So for yeah. me, that was, I think that was the biggest biggest lesson that I ever learned was he wanted to tell his story, and we were getting in the way, and <laughs> that just that for me um, was like no well that's where that's where it actually stops and 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 that's when we have to to realize that we we're all telling the story together yeah um, and and we've got to go where it, where it takes us it's collaborative and that's the most amazing part of it yes uh, and I, I know you've mentioned that if you want to do that go be a writer yeah sure right. absolutely absolutely yeah 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 it just don't be seth skorkowski that's all he's a he's a good buddy of mine he does some amazing uh, YouTube videos on, on role playing. He's also a writer as well, uh, and a maniac uh, who tried <laughs> to get me to ride a uh, scooter naked through Gen Con last year. Uh, thankfully, that did not happen. Yeah, uh, that did not happen. We had beer instead, which I think was was a, a better harder move, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. because beer. But he's an author, so just be aware. That's what happens when you become an author. You, 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 you. Uh, Hey Drayton, is that what happens? Did you write a scooter? I, I would know. <laughs> right through downtown Detroit. Hey, the term author is always very loosely used in regards to to my work. So, <laughs> so, uh, you've been running games for a long time. You said since you're about like fourteen or fifteen, and uh, so you've had plenty of experience. But other than just experience, you're deeply involved. I'd say probably more than. Um, any American would be <laughs> living in other places and traveling. And uh, so you're, you're a pretty cultured individual. So what cultures and cultural differences have you found to be most interesting as to where you've lived and et cetera that you think are, were pretty impactful to, oh, I suppose a, a people can do that or think that way. I would have to say, I think when I, when I lived in Tokyo, the most amazing thing about about Tokyo is that the role playing community there. There's two different role playing communities: there's the Japanese role playing community, and then there are the the English speaking role playing community. And because my Japanese is absolutely awful, and anyone who's Japanese will not tell you this because they'd be too polite, but um, <laughs> they also wouldn't understand what the hell I was trying to say. Uh, but. <laughs> Uh, I, I could never get into the Japanese role-playing groups because they all wanted to speak English and then it, it got complicated. Uh, but the foreigner group, the, the expat group, as they call it, yeah. was such an amazing experience because you'd sit down at a table to play and you'd have an American, you'd have someone from Germany, you'd have someone from Denmark, you'd have someone from Brazil. It, because it's such a small community, everyone kind of congregated. And that allowed me to role-play with very many different sort of nationalities. And it's so interesting to see how Americans and Canadians to degree play versus say Germans or 
Swedes or South Africans or Australians for that matter. So having been able to play with all of these different cultures, it's like, who am I playing with? Am I playing with Australians? Okay, the tone of the game has just gone down. The uh, survivability of the characters has gone down. <laughs> I really don't have to worry too much about them. They're just going to do their thing. I love Australians. They're absolutely amazing. Um, if I'm playing with Americans, it's like, okay, I've got a lot of different people that are all going to want to be right. <laughs> I will make sure that that happens. If I'm playing with the Germans, it's if I don't get it right, I will be executed because they will all be getting it right. And then they exactly. will tell me they're very, very honest people. I do like that. Um, <laughs> it's wonderful. And I'm being absolutely awful to everybody. So it's as equally as I can. No, no, that's um, great. But uh, yeah, it, 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 I have noticed that personally. Uh, and people go, oh, but I'm, I'm completely different. And you're like, yeah, you're absolutely right. You are completely different. <laughs> you and everybody else are all completely different uh, in so far as you're all the same. As soon as you started Wonderful. talking about the different cultures, I'm like, in my mind, I'm going, so when you play with Americans, he has a bunch of people who always think they're right and are, are probably <laughs> drinking Budweiser, screaming, yelling, watch what I can do. Um, <laughs> weak beer and uh, strong opinions. A... <laughs> weak beer, strong opinions. Got to be a tagline somewhere. Right? <laughs> and I'm, I'm pretty sure there's naked on a scooter in there somewhere. As well. <laughs> <laughs> It'd probably be naked on a Harley if they're American. There you go. And, you know. there you go. So I had a question about, uh, you know, as a writer, I, I role play. In fact, I got into writing kind of through uh, uh, GMing uh, when my kids were younger. And I decided, no, they're doing the wrong things. I want to control the story, right? So, <laughs> no. but uh, in one writer's workshop I, 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 I attended about world building, they described it as, uh, as an iceberg where you build this massive world and you know, 10% of it's poking above the surface and there's another 90% kind of below the surface that, that gives you a resonance to, to the players in the game or the readers in the book. Um, so how important is it to develop that 90% in your, in your opinion? I, I must admit, and, and I'll be very forthright here, I have a very strong affiliation with uh, world Anvil, who are right. world builders. A wonderful, um, wonderful. Uh, uh, absolutely. I mean, it's the soft, the, the stuff that they do there is mind blowing. Yes. Um, and that's why I support them. Yes. Personally, when I come to look at world building, for me, it is important that the people who live there are there and that they are responding as if they have lived there all their lives. So, there is nothing more disingenuous as far as I'm concerned of walking up to an NPC and them behaving as if they are just pulled out of planet earth. And, and there's no, there's no sense of them living in that space. So a lot of times people say, okay, well, what if your river doesn't, rivers can only flow from this direction to that. You've got to have a perfect world map and you've got to have a perfect this, you've got to have a perfect that. And you go, well, the people living there, do they really know or care that their river flows up instead of down if that's what the world is then that's what the world is so when you come to that kind of question of how much should you develop how much of that 90 percent? because you're quite right i mean you're going to have all of this stuff in the background um personally i believe it's if you make the npcs believe that what they are doing in their space is how it just should be then it's a then then the rest of it kind of falls into place uh, I, I do develop some broad concepts. I go, okay, well, I need some organizations and I need some of this and I need some of that. And where are the PCs going to start? 
but a lot of the time I will get the PCs to give me more information. I'll say, okay, well, you want to play a gnome. This is my big idea for gnomes. You develop it further. Tell me more about the culture. Tell me more about the naming and this and that. It's a different story if you're a writer. You don't have the, the drawing pool of, of other creators to, to, to ask them that kind of question. But um, again, there was something that, that I did. Uh, there was a, a, a director, John Borman, a British director. He made the film. Uh, one of his most famous ones was a film called Excalibur which was yeah. released in, yeah. I think, 1983, 1984, somewhere around there, don't, don't shoot me. But um, it, it, uh, he, I attended one of his script writing lessons and he said, the most important thing is close your eyes and walk down that street of that town or that village or in that forest and you tell me what you are experiencing there. Mm. And if you believe it, then that's what should be there. And if it doesn't feel right to you, then it shouldn't, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be there. So um, I, I also though very work in microcosm. So I, I don't try and develop the whole world at once. Um, and I know people say, well, that leads to bitty world building. And sometimes it does, but as long as everybody is, is similar, that's okay. I mean, that's what I loved about going to Japan and even here in the UK is in Japan, you don't understand anybody if you don't speak Japanese but you can still see when you sit at a restaurant, that woman over there, she's the leader of her group of friends. Right. That man over there is overworked and stressed and tired. He might be drinking a drink that I know nothing about and eating food that I wouldn't touch from a hundred yards type of stuff, but he's still a person and he's still tired and his job is still wearing him down. Um, so I, I don't know if that answers the question or not, but that's no, that's wonderful. Well, I'm kind of a, the reason I'm asking is really to justify my own laziness as a writer. Because <laughs> you know, I kind of developed this relaxed, I'll figure it out as I have to approach world building sometimes right. for, for my stories. Uh, and I just, I'm just wondering in your opinion, am I a slacker or do I get a pass if my characters and other elements are really strong? You know, give me the truth. I can <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think the, the one, the one, area we have to focus on is once you start a thread once you once you plant your flag from there it has to grow in a, in a in a logical kind of way or it needs to grow in an illogical way right but have some kind of logical reason behind it um so so um a classic 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 example is um, and let me not draw from, from Japanese culture. Let me go from another culture. So in Africa, there's a, 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 a group of people called the Zulus, and they're very um, um, uh, proud people, they're hunter-gatherers and some, some agrarian culture. And there was a very famous king, King Shaka Zulu, who yep. effectively created the Zulu empire and, and really revolutionized stuff. But his mother, her name was Nandi. And in Zulu, that means very nice, pleasing, happiness, that sort of thing. When she died, he declared that that word was completely and utterly illegal and that no one could ever, ever use it ever again to describe something. Because you would describe water as nandi if it tasted nice or the food would be nandi. So after him, that word ceased to exist. So it creates a discontinuous illogicality in their in their word structures and that sort of thing so if they had literature beforehand they'd be using this word and then suddenly it would stop wow yeah. now that might be you as the writer forgetting that you'd ever invented that word 
<laughs> but provided that when someone goes, hang on, but why aren't you using that word anymore? You go, oh, well, because you see, and this is you making it up on the fly. Right. 500 years ago, that <laughs> word was banned by they banned the, the word. Yes. <laughs> or, or whatever that kind of thing right. is. So we have these wonderful notions that there is this continuous thread in our world and that as creators, we should try and get the same immaculate pattern and it doesn't exist right it, it doesn't exist and it happens because people go no i don't like the color red anymore <laughs> red is out you know, you know that, that's why i love i love i love history because history doesn't have to make sense it doesn't have to follow a plot mm. and so most of my reading and such that i do I, I i enjoy history because of that very fact because I, when I watch some a work of fiction, I'm always, why did he choose to do that? I'm always questioning the author now. But when I read history, it's like, well, you know, they're just people and they're doing stupid stuff. That's just what happened. <laughs> it totally does. Exactly. 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 So, Guy, as you can see, uh, comedy to us is kind of important. We we like to laugh. We like to be irreverent about a great number of things. Uh, but I think you would agree that in order to make a story more interesting or a game more interesting, uh, that that comedy can be an important factor. Um, it can add fun to the campaign. It can add fun to the the characters, add a, a depth to them. Um, but it also can can make the villains more villainous, uh, uh, especially if they're if they're a bit uh, sarcastically evil uh, in their villainy. So what we were thinking is maybe you could share with us a story uh, about your favorite funny moment in a game that you were involved in, if you can think of one. Wow. Um... So, yes, um, interesting question. And the only reason why I think it's an interesting one is because it's, you often go, well, that's situational. You kind of had to be there. And you go, oh, I've got this great story. And then you tell it and everyone's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, you have to be there. Like, <laughs> great, great story. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> yeah. Thank, thanks for sharing. Now, can you go away? So, um, I completely agree. Humor is absolutely vital. Whether you are doing a horror or, 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 or science fiction or fantasy, it's, it's, it's absolutely key. And when you look at the, the great works of literature, most of them have funny moments in them somewhere. It might not be very, very often. So I think in terms of funny moments, um, it was funny because it actually happened uh, and nobody expected it. Um, nobody expected it. I had a, a player character drop 40 tons of beans onto my giant nemesis who was riding a white dragon, and he killed three of his other fellow PCs at the same time. <laughs> nobody knew that that was going to happen. He was, he was, the party had split up effectively. And three of them had gone suicidal and gone to go and attack my, my, my oh, giant Lord. nemesis. They weren't supposed to attack the giant nemesis. He was actually positioned in such a way that they couldn't normally get to him, except one of them shapeshifted into a spider and climbed the rest of them up to this place. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, as a GM, you're kind of watching this going, well, they're climbing towards my big bad and it's adventure number two and they're only supposed to face him in sort of 20 or 30 levels time. Right. Let's see where this goes. Way too soon. <laughs> um, and the other character, he was on their, their flying sky whale because I like flying sky whales. And who doesn't? He was, he was bored. He's like, well, I'm waiting for the others. And you go, well, you don't see them. So, all right, I take the sky whale up and have a look. And there they are fighting against this dark Lord on his 
white dragon uh, losing. And he goes, well, we've got cargo, right? And I said, yep, you've got 40 tons of beans. He's right. Okay. <laughs> I rotate the sky whale 180 degrees and just drop 40 tons of beans onto the whole thing. That's fantastic. It was, That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those moments where you kind of go, I don't know how to do this because that's brilliant. <laughs> but right? I'm fairly certain there is no rule anywhere that details what the damage is from being hit by 40 tons of beans. It, it, must be, it has to be death, right? <laughs> Complete and utter decimation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Got very slowly. Yeah. <laughs> I think so, you drop 40 tons of anything on something, it's going to be a problem. Gonna, it's going to cause a problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> And what a good point about comedy when role playing too is that you know it really does depend on the people you're with and et cetera because there's various inside jokes that you start building upon and building upon. So I understand why I was like, oh yeah, I guess that would be hard to to like really explain properly. So um, like yeah. if we were to that, if we were to do a story, we would have to do a story about Nick, our shadow mage, backing <laughs> up an ambulance into a, 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 an overhead door. Is that and you're like what 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 is that? Right, Nick, you have to watch you, episode one, guy. To get that last game that I, I heard you playing—is that why you went up the the backside of the giant? You went in in the through the rectum during. Dang, they kill, <laughs> dang, dang, they killed him. Rectum, yeah. <laughs> rectum. Yeah. Okay, it's amazing how often that happens. Right, <laughs> Being, one moment you're fine, and the next minute there's just a gnome going up where a gnome. Yeah. Should be. And you, you right. boldly go where gnome has gone before. <laughs> All right. No gnome. Right. No gnome. No gnome has gone before. What uh, game? I was actually in a game the other day. Um, oh, with a bunch of Australians. That's why. <laughs> um, down under. Nope. Down under, up under, and in under, and then that was the problem. Uh, oh my god. Yeah, and you kind of go well. <laughs> I don't know what damage you take when your colon is <laughs> eviscerated by effectively a demented wombat. So anyway, I mean, yes, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I think, you know, uh, I think your you. skill. Well, exactly, right? I think that might be a, a good book to write. Right. Uh, gnomes in awkward places or... I, I, <laughs> um, oh, my innards got wrecked by a demented wombat. <laughs> oh, gnome alone. Gnome oh, alone. No. <laughs> Gnome alone, too. <laughs> um, so this is a serious interview. Come on. It's very serious. It's, we're very serious. Very. So <laughs> Utterly you know, nowadays, a lot of people are meeting for Zoom, obviously. Um, I'm back. <laughs> back. Oh, oh, I didn't even notice you freeze, so that's good. All right. Oh, really? It was just a face of panic. <laughs> we're hiding from a T-Rex. <laughs> yeah, that's what we keep saying. He's just, there's a T-Rex passing by his window, so. That's right. <laughs> so nowadays, a lot of people are meeting through Zoom. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of communication is nonverbal, oh, right? Yeah. They say that 7% of communication is words, and then the rest is simply tone of voice and body language and all this stuff. And uh, you have some background in virtual reality as well, and uh, you have a good interest there. Um, so with your advantage of both the beautiful accent as well as the police box you allegedly keep in your garage, um, how do you think the, um, like a holodeck from Star Trek, how might that have, um, how might you see a technology like that having a really larger role in 
the world of role play? When do you see that happening? Oh my god. That inspire you at all? Oh my goodness. Well, that's the end of your <clears throat> I'm convinced. <laughs> Yeah. I'm convinced. Barclay syndrome, or what do they call yeah. it? Barclay, um, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, his, his holodeck addiction. I think that's exactly what would happen. I mean, mm -hmm. it really, really would. At, at the moment, you know, we've got all the, the VR, um, but that's, that's ridiculously expensive to get into. And then it's, it's very technical. And I'm, I'm, I'm working with a couple of developers at the moment. Um, well, they're doing it. I'm just giving them my my five cents and telling them that what they should add and and and, and that's nice where they trying to make it as immersive as possible but the tech is always the barrier so when you get to something like holodeck where the technology is invisible mm. wow good great i forget forget real life i mean we just wouldn't live there the matrix plug me in call me a battery but let me play on the holodeck i really don't care i mean mm -hmm. um I, I think that would be an amazing space. And, and you suddenly go, well, forget being a, you're not a movie director anymore. You're not an author anymore. You're not a dungeon master anymore. Now you're creating a real world where you can create your NPCs to have these plot lines and, and this sort of thing. And when you actually look at the holodeck from a, from a how would you write a holodeck novel? Right. Mm. The amount of AI that needs to be present in the background with some basic actions or already programmed because otherwise you would it would be like choosing an adventure book you'd walk up to the holodeck hologram and you'd say something that's completely off script right and the next minute it would hand you a bucket because it sort of tried to interpret what you were asking yeah. and, you know or, or uh, so so fa fabulous technology i would love to have it uh, but <laughs> i don't think i don't think you'd ever leave i really don't think you'd ever leave yeah. I mean, it's, it would just be amazing They'd just be um, feeding tubes running to each of us yeah, as we right? turn into blobs. Mm, right? <laughs> but what was interesting, I'm, I, I, I don't know. Well, I find this interesting anyway. We, we, were, we were involved in, 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 in virtual reality technology and 360 degree production of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and we did a, a, an experimental film where uh, it's, it's the same story but it's a, you can watch either perspective. So it's a bunch of heroes rescuing their, their mate from evil Nazi Germans. And um, you can watch either the Nazis interrogating the, the hero, or you can watch his friends coming to try and save him. But it's in a 360 environment. So when you look to your left, they're the Nazis. When you look to your right, they're the heroes. And they're running up a hill and you can run with them, or you can go back into the interrogation room. And we wrote it so that the dialogue meshed perfectly. So what the, when the German was saying something, these guys were quiet and that sort of thing. And technically, it was, it was interesting to do. But yeah. what was so interesting was that the viewer has the choice to look anywhere. And they can look up and see planes flying over. And they can look at the dirt. And we put clues in the dirt for them to try and work out stuff. And wow. Because it's a full environment, right? Yeah. What YouTube has is they've got heat maps for where you are looking in this virtual environment. Hmm. And the humans, the viewers, we still only looked at the faces of the people participating in the hole. Occasionally, there would be someone who looked around a little bit, but we just look at each other's faces. And you go, well, the holodeck, that, that a complete immersive environment, as amazing as we would find it, to someone who already had it, you wouldn't be going, oh, wow, look at this amazing architecture. You'd be going, yeah, it's another amazing cathedral. Yeah, they downloaded that off of mesh.com or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. learn the, the people. So the story is still about the people. And, and 
so, so yeah, I, I find that fun. Well, while he was describing that, did anybody else hear the song Steeler's Wheel, uh, you know, stuck in the middle with you going through their head? <laughs> no, Nazis no. to the left of me, heroes to the right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I couldn't. <laughs> there is another question from our admin, Deb. She had heard about the police box as well that was in your garage and uh, was curious. Um, how do you think games like role play were played in 76 BC? And how might that, how might that, what do you imagine probably happened back Ancient then? Roman role playing. <laughs> yeah, I'm just making sure 76 BC, it's like, okay, what was happening on planet Earth in 76 BC? I think that it was, yeah, it was probably a whole bunch of Romans sitting around speaking Latin, and I won't attempt to speak Latin, um, going, all right, so uh, you see Visigoths on the horizon. What do you do? What do you, you do? see? <laughs> Scythians to the right, uh, Dacians to the left. What do you do? What do you, uh, Here I, I, I am know. stuck in yeah. the middle yeah. of you. <laughs> well, go. pretty much. Get them started again. <laughs> He's just setting them up. It's not my fault. Well, you know, at least someone's taking them down. Otherwise, <laughs> just, you know, left, leave me hanging. So I cool. tend to think that it's just, I see uh, a whole lot of Life of Brian going on oh, in yeah. 76 BC. You know, they're playing some role playing. <laughs> Rolimus the Dicemus. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least the dice names haven't changed, right? They would still be dodecahedron and icosahedron oh, and because that. that's kind of where we get them from. So hmm, at least right. that would be that would be a thing. But you get uh, dice with Roman numerals, I wonder, you know. I I I I I I I I I Somebody will have to make those. I actually have not seen dice with Roman numerals, but that's only because you have a whole bunch of players going, I rolled a four. Of, no, it's a six. Wait, Wait a minute. Yeah, it over. exactly. <laughs> well, there's I a I rolled a V. What things. happens with that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So a lot, of, a lot of people know you love Star Trek. And mm. some even know you did a little bit of voicing work mm. uh, for a mod in, in New Horizons video game in 2016. That's right. Can you tell us yes. a little bit about that? Well, that was that was a lot of fun, and that was just me sort of interfering and stuff. Because the guys were doing a modern, and uh, I I I, um, I really enjoy the, the the mod space for some some kind of games because there really are not enough Star Trek games out there. The most, I think, the most impressive Star Trek game that was ever released was a game called Birth of the Federation, and that was in 1996. It was actually a forex game before forex even existed. It was a really complicated game. They really tried to push the envelope on it, but it was so buggy that it, it didn't do so well. So this mod came out and I kind of got hold of them and I said, hey, I would love to do some voices. And they went, well, there's a whole voice thing and I had to sign all kinds of things. And then they're right, you're, you're right. You are doing Romulan, you are doing, uh, there was a race, I still can't remember the race that I, I, the other race that I did, but I had to go and try and find an episode where this race existed just to see if I could hear their voice. And of course, couldn't hear any because I don't think they were even voiced. I think it was just sort of one of the randoms in the background. So we, we, we sort of tried to fudge that. But that was a lot of fun. Um, uh, but after a while, you kind of realize that the voice actors who do computer games, they probably can't play computer games because then they're just hearing themselves going, 
Yeah, I shall comply as you <laughs> wish. En route. We're under attack. It's like, oh, shut up. Yes. Uh, you know, but anyway, I mean, that was, that, no, that was a lot of fun. That was a real lot of fun. And, and, and yes, Star Trek is a, a great passion of mine. Yeah. Especially if they're perfectionists, I would imagine that would be rough, you know, you know, we're en route. Oh, I should have put more conviction behind that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're under attack. Well, that didn't seem real. Yes. I didn't believe it. Anyone else believe it? Unbelievable. No. <laughs> Do you ever do that with your own videos? Kind of like over-criticize your, like, I don't oh know. My. For myself, I do that all the time to myself, like over-criticize and like, oh, I should have said it this way or that way. Or... Uh, generally speaking, I'm usually sitting there just going, what was going through my mind when I did uh, that or that or that? And actually this morning I was looking at it, looking at videos from four years ago. And I kind of go, there must have been a really weird amount of chemicals in the water that year because that was the year that, uh, that the YouTube channel started to grow and it's like, I have no idea why. Uh, it was awful. The production quality was terrible. Uh, you know, it, it, anyway, uh, you, you change and you learn and you adapt. And, and as long as you can see that you were making mistakes and then when you, you look at current stuff, you go, making less of those. Mm. You're progressing, and then that's a good thing. That's good. So, Star Trek, didn't know uh, what your current thoughts of Picard were. How, what do you like so far? What don't you like so far? I sigh. <laughs> because it's like, I so wanted that series to, to really restart the essence of Star Trek. And it would have been so easy because they already shot an episode of Picard in 1993 or 92, whenever the series ended in the finale of The Next Generation called All Good Things. Mm -hmm. We saw Picard in his France right. in the bar right. and we Come saw on. him with a beard. And the most important thing for me was that we saw how he reacted to a new crisis. He didn't storm into Starfleet and demand this and become this arrogant, opinionated individual who didn't care about others. He investigated. And so when the new Picard came out, I started watching it. And as a person who has a film background, I understand what they were trying to do. But I feel that they shouldn't have done it with, with Picard. I think if they had done it with an all new group, it would have worked phenomenally better because the character of Picard is not Picard, in my opinion. The writers, and I know Patrick Stewart was heavily involved because I follow Patrick Stewart on Twitter along with, you know, 150,000 other people. But I know that he was involved and I think he wanted it to be a little bit more uh, edgy perhaps. But I don't think they got the tone of Picard right. I think his approach was way too um, aggressive and not, not the, the Picard that he was. And I understood that they tried to build it up, that he was, he was angry about the betrayal that he felt the Federation had given to him. But we've seen Picard multiple times just accept what the Federation have ordered him, not agree with it, but accept it because he's the champion of the Federation. I mean, really, the Picard that we see now, the, the series, he behaves more like Kirk than he does Picard. Yeah, good point. Yeah, and I was like, 
yeah, not how I will remember Picard for me personally. I think um, Star Trek Nemesis, the, the the final sort of TNG movie, um, that for me was 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 still Picard being Picard before yeah. he, he he changed. Yeah, um, yeah, that's just my opinion. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on and on. But I, was um, was there a character? from the next generation that you think the storyline would have fit better than Picard? Uh, you know, somebody else in in that show? Worf? Worf, Riker, <laughs> you know. You said he was aggressive. I was just... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't think so. I think that's okay. why J.J. Abrams' original Star Trek film, when it, when it aired, did so well from a relative position because it was a complete reboot. There were none of the original actors except right. for Spock, but that right. kind of made sense from a narrative perspective. And he wasn't the lead character, he was in the background. Right, it was um, almost a cameo. It was a cameo and, and I think it was a nice cameo. I do so too. that's why I think his reboot worked. And this Picard to me that, you know, they were juggling with, well, Discovery has done so well because it's edgy sci-fi. And I think Discovery did well because they kind of, removed everybody from the original series and we had new people to supposedly latch on to not that we did because they're all boring but aside from that moving <laughs> forward at least they had a clean slate so they could do some interesting things whereas with picard it was like oh it's so nice to see picard it's so nice to see fat brent spiner you know um it's really cool to see Riker and dana troy and all of her plastic makeup you know but it was nice, but they could have done a few little cameos. And they should have learned, by the way, as far as I'm concerned, they should have learned because the, the ending of Star Trek Enterprise, that, that entire series should have warned them not to try and go back to what they were doing. They should have done a clean slate. But at the end of that, once again, we had Deanna Troy and Riker. And I don't know of a single person who can honestly say that when they saw the two of them sitting in the holodeck watching, Everybody didn't go, oh my God, they got fat and old. <laughs> and that's not what we remember them as. Right. Yeah. Right. And then you kind of watch Picard is like, that's what happens to everybody. And I know it's true, but it's kind of sad because tomorrow you watch Next Generation and it's as fresh as if it was shot today. Right. Mm -hmm. I miss anyway, the I mean, episodic nature of, of the older treks too, because all the new ones have been like uh, mini dramas. With right everybody's got these ongoing character development which is great i mean that it's its own thing but that's not to me trek that's that's a, a movie based on trek or a miniseries based on trek so I, yes. I miss the episode type where they're always coming up with something new and solving it in an hour you know theoretically that's what they're doing with the new spin-off with pike um, okay. there's lots of rumors on the fact that that's going to go back to being a little bit more episodic but uh Deep Space Nine was the first of the, 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 the old guard that started to have overarching narrative. Right. And that was a function of the, the influx of being able to have things like Netflix and uh, All Access, uh, where people would then suddenly start to watch the entire season in one sitting. Exactly. And it was also towards the end of where we used to have 24 episodes in a season. It suddenly has, you know, it dropped down to 12 and some, now it sits somewhere between six and 10 uh, on, a, on, on average. And again, that's just because we as viewers, we just absorb 
everything at once. That's what I did with, with, with Discovery. I did the same with Mandalorian. It's like, I'm just going to wait until it's done. And, and then the I'm going to watch the whole thing. Yep. Um, because this whole idea of waiting a week, I'm an instant gratification human nowadays. I want it all now. <laughs> so, yeah. But hopefully Pike will do that. And, and Pike is to a large degree a clean slate um, in terms of the characters. Um, I just hope his first officer develops some kind of personality other than just being the tough one. Um, but yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I could go on and 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 on because uh, I used to do a lot of script writing lectures and the original uh, uh, Star Trek content, when you look at the characters, when you look at the narrative, that show, those shows, whether it was even the, the original stuff that Gene Roddenberry wrote with, with, with Kirk and Spock or the Next Generation stuff, that stuff was so forward thinking that it used to get banned on national television. It was banned in South Africa, for example. They weren't allowed to show it because of the ideologies that they were presenting in that show. Discovery's never gonna get banned in any country. And you might say, oh, well, because the country's attitudes have changed. Well, yes, they have, but- Right, there's been some moral advancement, but- Yeah, they're not challenging moral ethics. They're actually going backwards to a large degree. Sure. It's like, you will sacrifice yourself to save the ship. So go die in a cubicle. We're not going to think our way out of it. We're just going to kill a crew member because we can. Um, it's like, and everyone went, well, that's okay. We don't care. Um, well, at least I certainly did. I, yeah. I had a tough time with Enterprise uh, or Picard for that matter, trying to, trying to find a character that I went, oh, that's a cool character. I like that character. Uh, we kind of had an edgy seven of nine, which everyone went, yay, we got a seven of nine. That's super cool. And, and she was the coolest of the characters as far as I'm concerned. Everyone else was like, yeah. I, I don't know why I should like this person. Yeah, uh, I, I felt like, yeah, Riker just stood around and smirked a lot. <laughs> yes, he was just the, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to give you my arrogant Riker grin and just and be I'll, right. Let me do my Captain Morgan impression. Right. Absolutely. So, yes. Tim, I know you had a question about the Orville. Yeah. Yeah. So we can't just skip over a show like the Orville. I mean, we're we're talking about Star Trek. We're talking about these type of things, and so we look at a show like the Orville, who clearly has um, taken the the Star Trek formula and added a bit of humor to it. Right. So, uh, tell me what you think. What they're doing right. And perhaps what you'd love to see it go to next in terms of the genre and what they're trying to do with it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant show in terms of the content that they are, are showing. There's some episodes in the Orville where I look at it and I go, I don't know if this should be on television. If this is a kind of subject matter <laughs> that we should be dealing with. And instantly you go, then this is exactly what should be on television because they're <laughs> mm -hmm. questioning our yeah. ethics. You know, there's that one that one episode where it's gender uh, reassignment for for Bortus's child, and you're like, "Holy moly! This is so intense! This is such a debate! This is exactly what Star Trek was doing in the '60s and in the '80s, and is not doing anymore. Now we don't care. Now we're just falling back on standard sci-fi tropes." So, I thought the Orville was absolutely brilliant. Um, I, I, I haven't seen the last season because I don't have Hulu or whatever the what okay. it was currently hosting. Yeah, I think it's on Hulu right now. I think it's on Hulu, yeah. Um, but the first season blew me away from that perspective. 
that yes, we're going to start dealing with some serious issues. And there was the comedy stuff. And I think that personally, if they had done styling like Discovery or Picard in terms of slick sci-fi that we would expect, that we expect nowadays, I think they would have fulfilled the, the Firefly space. Absolutely dominated. Oh, okay. sure. And I think that they would have had even more viewership. I think by going with the more stylized Enterprise D look, mm-hmm. I think that was their mistake. Because uh, I forget the name of the, the AI. Um, it's gone straight out of my head. The robot in, in Orville. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's gone, off, gone, off, gone out of my head. Um, if you look at his styling, that look was established in Metropolis, the black and white German film from the 1930s. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it's C3PO, and it's, and you go well. Maybe that's paying homage to to that. And yes, it is sure, but there's a line between, I'm paying you know homage to this this ancient sci-fi thing and the rule of cool. And I think cool would have done better because the writing was cool. The writing was right, better. Right. And you right. look at the characters and you go, well, this character is interesting, and they're not just. They're not just, oh, these two have got a marital issue. There are a whole lot of levels to it. It's not just he's an alcoholic. I don't think there's anyone who's an alcoholic on that one. Right, right. Um, but you look at at the, the alcoholic um, woman in Picard, look at, look at some of the, the characters from Orville, then look at the alcoholic character from Battlestar Galactica, the reboot from 2006, Mm-hmm. And that's Colonel Ty. And that's how you do it, where they, they, they don't wear it on their sleeve and, and it's hidden, it's, it's a burden, it's something that they bear, it's somebody that everybody else knows about and doesn't know what to do about. Um, and there aren't these weird one episodes where I try and reconcile with my child who we didn't know about or care about. So when he says, stuff you, I'm leaving, we all went, okay, bye. Right. You know, right. So, 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 yeah. It's a it, and and this comes back to role playing as well, and 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 script writing and story writing is, if we don't know who these people are and we don't have anything to identify with them, and they have an encounter, if we didn't set up why that encounter is happening, no one's going to care. Right. And I think that's what Discovery and Picard, to a large degree, have been doing is that they've been forgetting to tell us why these things are important or they've been trying to be clever in their narrative by going, Oh, something dramatic happens. And now we'll do a flashback sequence to why it's so important. And you're like, well, it's already happened. I don't care now why. Um, The Borg cube was a classic example, in my opinion of, Oh, they got a Borg cube. That's amazing. How did they get this? Where's the, that's the interesting thing. Exactly. You know, and, What's the setup between the Romulans and the Federation using the Borg? To, the interesting questions were just glossed over because they weren't sort of the edgy, punchy sex scene happening between the Romulan and his 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 yeah. android type of thing. And you go, well, yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah. And I think too, one for me, one of the the biggest surprises <laughs> on the Orville is the fact that Seth MacFarlane uh, doesn't have to do shtick. Um, yes. you know, I mean, I mean, there is some, uh, clearly there's comedy laced throughout the show, but you know, he's not trying to do, um, you know, it's, it's not all the voices. It's not all the, 
you know, all the shtick and things that many people are used to from him. I mean, if you saw, you know, mm-hmm. a thousand, you know, uh, a million ways to die in the West, I believe it was titled, uh, or, you, you know, if you're a Family Guy fan or, or whatever, you know, he's not trying to do any of that type of stuff. He's, he's pretty much doing some straight ahead acting in it, I think, and actually developing that character pretty well. I agree. I think uh, from what I have read, Seth really wanted to be in a Star Trek and he just couldn't get in. Um, okay. yeah. J.J. Abrams wasn't going to let him in onto his show um, and I don't think Discovery had, had been around or most likely he'd tried to get in on Discovery and got, got sort of quietly told no. Sure. Um, so I do believe yeah. that from, from what I've read, he started Orville specifically because he needed to be in his own, his own well, all in all, it, it makes me keep wishing for, you know, a, uh, a Douglas Adams version. Uh, I love this type of guy because the randomness and the, the cleverness is, is just, there hasn't been anybody to write like that in, uh, mm. since then. And, and, and uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of uh, Douglas and uh, also Pratchett. I love Pratchett stuff. All right. Well, thanks so much for being on our show, Guy. Um, we encourage everyone, whether they're an author, writer, artist, game developer, storyteller of any sort, uh, just playing, want to have some fun and try out role playing or anything. Guy has the absolute most put together simple series on how you and your friends can get started, as well as even resources to find games with uh, others online. So if you guys want to play a, a funny sci-fi game, uh, Guy has content specific to that exactly on his YouTube channel. So if any listeners are building a sci-fi game, already playing a sci-fi comedy role-playing game or anything like that, please message us on our Facebook group, Funny Science Fiction. We'd love to hear about it. What's the name of your YouTube channel? My YouTube channel is called How to Be a Great GM. All right, good. We want people to go and subscribe and follow and listen to what you've got, you've got going on there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And is there any other place where people can find the best content from you? Uh, yeah, if they head on over to the website, that's www.greatgamemaster.com, then uh, they'll get access to everything, all the books and the, the, the templates and, and um, podcasts and all that kind of other stuff that we do. Excellent. But yeah. Great. Well, well, we're to the end of our role-playing session here. And it's time to hand out experience points, everybody. Guy, I'm going to give you 10 points to spend on your character for surviving not only the interview, but also surviving the attack of the London Internet Web Crusher. <laughs> <laughs> and the, uh, we're going to add a red, I gave red shirt, widows and orphans cup to your inventory, your character's inventory. So Excellent. expect that in the mail. <laughs> and uh, Josh, you had some ep- epic fails to begin with, but you somehow managed to still have an interesting interview anyway. So yeah. I'm going to grant you six points. Okay, but Fair enough. your microphone now adds plus two to all oh. interview roles. Okay, so upgrade on your equipment there. Thank you. Tim, your that role down. as the evil, sarcastic, whimsical jester did make us laugh. I'll give you three points for being sarcastic and whimsical, but your evil alignment was not well depicted in your role playing since you didn't even take <laughs> out maniacal laughter hardly once or even twice. So I'm not going to give any points on that. If I do it now, do I get points? <laughs> a little late, a little late. But I'll give you some bonus points for accurately portraying your quirk of referencing obscure 70s songs in awkward situations. Okay? Yes. So I'll give you, you know, two more points for that. Well, thank you, Guy. Well, this has been a blast. We really enjoyed it. And uh, 
again, I can't say enough that if people who um, want to learn about being a great game master need to go to your greatgamemaster.com website and look at your YouTube channel. And uh, we really enjoyed having you on the show. And, uh, you know, friends, don't forget about those who have boldly gone forever, our, our dear red shirts and their uh, the, the ones they've left behind, the red shirt widows and orphans who uh, we have uh, uh, kindly uh, begun a fund for. Uh, if we invest even as little as 10 cents now, uh, by uh, the 23rd, 24th century, it'll be worth a lot. So, uh, <laughs> Thanks a lot, Thanks, guys. guys so much. You are so awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening or watching. Don't forget to subscribe and like us on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube. If you've enjoyed our podcast, why not come join our Funny Science Fiction Facebook group, too? It's filled with giggle-worthy memes and gags. Visit our website, www.funnysci-fi.com. That's F-U-N-N-Y-S-C-I-F-I.com. You can also support us on Patreon, where you can get transcripts, bonus episodes, and other fun merch. That's at patreon.com slash F-U-N-N-Y-S-C-I-F-I. Look for links in the podcast description. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of Funny Science Fiction, we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on one of our future episodes, please contact us by means of our Facebook group, Funny Science Fiction. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram using the handle at Funny Sci-Fi, or you can go to DraytonAllen.com and click the contact me link at the bottom of the page. Thanks again. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Copyright 2020 by Drayton Allen. Original music by Jordan Michaels. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned in this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation of or by Funny Science Fiction or its sponsors. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. If you have questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at DraytonAllen at DraytonAllen.com.